Hello and welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club. This is Anthony Wong Month Recap number three. I'm your host, always Howard Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host and occasional therapist, the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Howdy. Tonight we continue the look at the week that was going over the films we watched as we continue our journey towards 31 Anthony Wong movies in 31 days. This week we've got an under the radar kung fu movie we've got a chef's kiss of a action movie we've got some food porn and we've probably got one of the most offensive movies i've seen all week but kicking things off uh this week because obviously the last week we ended on cop image which uh, did you ever get around to watching that one Stephen, or are you still to watch it i i got myself a copy of it i haven't watched okay. it yet um that I mean, I've, something we didn't mention on the last episode about cop images that there's just this really phenomenal bus chase sequence at the end of it, where he's uh, chasing after the uh, the girl he sort of like works the case with, and he's the one of the main bad guys is like escaped in a bus, and it made me think, you know, maybe I should do a list of movies where people are, like using buses. Um, as like um, as an escape vehicle because there's a few movies now I've encountered this like um, Red Heat and Badass have both had it and now obviously with Cop Image and there's a scene where he seems I don't know if it was like an actual Hong Kong stuntman or what but basically they have a head-on collision between this car and a bus and he's like standing on the bonnet so he f- goes through the windscreen of the bus and knowing how hong kong stuntmen are and the sheer lack of health and safety is it just made me wonder it's like was someone actually on the front of that car when they drove it into a bus probably (laughs) like you say that's not um health and safety took a while to get there (laughs) it's even back when they were like filming like um film like rush hour like Jackie Chan mm. was like so excited like when they were doing the Hong Kong scenes, which is like the sequence at the beginning. And um like Brat Renner was like oh, he was like showing him like the Hong Kong safety method of where you put like a little apple cart between the two bits where the the shipping crates are gonna crash together. And he does the run up and he like lifts his head up just to the fraction before it was gonna get crushed between them and he looks at the director and is like, Okay, we do have in the Hollywood way now. <laughs> It's just the insurance companies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, kicking off this week, though, from 96, we had the gently movie Black Mask. Um, I don't know if you've seen this one at all. I have. Have you? I have. I've watched it for the show. Oh, fantastic. Uh, this is directed by Daniel Lee Yan Kong. Um, mm. For some reason, this movie doesn't really get talked a lot about, and I thought that. Like a lot of the Jet Li movies, they're all pretty well known, but for some reason this one never gets much of a mention, much like Meltdown. And I'm watching it now. I'm not sure why exactly we're not talking about so, this more. Yeah. So it's interesting. So I think it's it's considered Jet Li's last Hong Kong movie before he went off to, to Hollywood. And whilst you're quite right who the director is, um, please note that it's produced by Choi Hark and... To be honest with you, it's a Choi Hart movie by any other name. <laughs> the director was just doing what he was told. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it's got a really... So did you... What version of the film did you watch? I'm not sure which uh, version I watched. I think I just watched... I watched a dub version of it. Yeah, so I watched I watched the dub... So I found a copy on YouTube. Yeah. And I watched a dub version, which is clearly the western release okay. because one of the reasons it's not talked about much and has a real marmite um people have a real marmite opinion to it it's because of the fucking dreadful hip-hop soundtrack <laughs> i actually like the hip-hop soundtrack of this it's very Wu-Tang, because, wu-tang-esque well that's that, that that's you know obviously I think we've. I'm sure we've spoken about this before, but there are, you know, in things like Shogun Assassin, haven't we? There, there's, there's, there's a relationship between hip hop and kung fu movies. Um, you know, Wu Tang Clan have made that famous, but you know, I think, I think there are others as well. And you have things like um, uh, what was that Forest Whitaker, Jim Jarmusch Forest Whitaker movie that? 
Oh, uh, Ghost Dog Wears the Samurai. Ghost. Yeah, exactly. So, it, although that's not a Chinese movie, it's it's yeah, it's a Jamish movie. Taking its it's taking its cues from there. So, there is there are multiple versions of this movie around. <laughs> um, the 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 dreadful hip hop or great hip hop music one is 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 a Western one, but there are other. There's another Western one which has the original soundtrack, and is cut to shreds apparently. And yeah, I think there's at least four. So. It sounds like we watched the same one. Um, but yes, that's why it has a really mixed opinion. It, it's not given... It doesn't have the fame of other Jet Li movies, I, I think. Um, and also because it's kind of a Choi Hart movie, but not really. And it's, yeah, weird. Weird. What do you think of the movie, though, other than the soundtrack? I really enjoyed the hell out of this one. I really did. This was um, such a pl- pleasant surprise. I mean, obviously here Jet Li plays a super soldier who's been genetically modified so that he doesn't feel pain. Um, and basically he escapes his former unit and goes rogue and has been hiding out as uh, working as a librarian. So again, very Penguin's memory. Um, <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> we need to do the librarian movies now. <laughs> <laughs> and he basically is uh, quite happy with his life, just reading books and, uh, you know, not having to go on covert operations for the government. But his old unit, the 701, uh, basically been moving in on the Hong Kong triads and taking out all the gang bosses. Um, one of which includes. Anthony Wong as a really kinky triad boss who wears nothing but uh, boxers and a see-through raincoat. Um, as you do. And has been, been sent bits and pieces of his various loved ones, including his daughter's legs, um, completed with ballet shoes. Uh, as he said, I've been receiving a number of presents. These are my daughter's legs. She was seven. Uh, but yeah, he's a real kinky bastard. But uh, if you want to see Anthony Wong in a see-through raincoat wielding a shotgun and deciding that in the middle of a shootout it's the good time to get your sort of uh, kinky fix on, then this may be um, a, the movie for you. But it's a really fun time. I really, really enjoyed this one. Um, it's got Jet Li. Once again, dressing. we got an actor dressing up as Kato from The Green Hornet. Although, although with corrugated cardboard, the masks made out of a bit yeah, weird. Yeah, um, he also teams up with uh, Lu Ching Wan's um, Inspector Rock, who's uh, kind of like a badass cop who plays by his own rules. So it's great the yep. fact that you've got like you know the badass cop who like is all about guns. You've got Jen Lee handles all the ass kicking, so it earns that moniker of the kill you all kinds of dead. <laughs> we also get to see uh, some heavy machinery used. We get a, a scene with a um, bulldozer being used to spectacular effect, make me think that maybe I should make a list of like movies where heavy machinery, uh, you know, building machinery is weaponized in some way. So yeah, it's lots of lots of lots of stuff. You get Karen Mock as well. We do get Karen We're... Mock, who's um, just adorable in this movie. Uh, we also get this really bizarre sequence where. Um, she gets uh, kidnapped by this uh, by the title of Black Mask, and his idea of being a good host is to basically keep her handcuffed, give her a video game controller, and say, "Here, play this if you get bored." Despite her hands being behind her back, but she does though, and and um, and what it and hands on the phones if you're hungry, <laughs> yes, get taken, <laughs> and he also gives her a coffee can to piss in as well. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's really great in this. She has a number of really great uh, sort of comedic moments in it, including her trying to cook. Yep. Um, we also get to see Jet Li doing a bit of cooking because we all know that being a super soldier means that you're also an excellent cook as well. That's what they teach you in the army, isn't it? It is. It's not all rations. It's all Michelin-style <laughs> <Yeah>. cooking. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get on with this movie I don't movie understand at all. how you can have gotten on with this movie. It's just like, it's got so many great action beats. But then again, I know you didn't get on with another movie on this list tonight. Uh, which, again, I don't understand why. But we'll get to that in, in a bit later. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's I think it's fine. It's of its time. Um, very much of its time. Yeah. Um, I love 
if you, you know you mentioned Sean Lau, he's in it as well. Who's always good value. Jet Li is. Nice. Maybe it's because it was dubbed. That and and that music really annoyed me. Um, I will potentially hunter like a Hong Kong version down or something. See if I prefer it undubbed. I, I, that always is minus ten points for anything for me. I can't stand Asian movies that are dubbed. No, that's not fair. That's not the movies I can't stand. I just can't stand it when they're <laughs> dubbed. Um, um, but I, I, it's fine. It's just I don't really remember much about it a few days later. I really, um, which is a shame. Yeah, I mean, Luching Wan is another of those actors that we've not really covered enough on the show and while he's obviously not got the instant name recognition he's certainly been in a number of fantastic movies i mean he was obviously in like a hero never dies he was in a big bullet um he's in color of truth return to better tomorrow he's he's in he's in tons of films and still is i mean we've Um, covered one of his films because he was obviously in bullet vanishes yeah uh with nicholas taze yeah but yeah, we haven't talked about it much. That's very true. But it'll it'll come as we get to look at more modern. You know, he's one of the, you know, along with Louis Koo and people like that. He's in pretty much anything that's made in Hong Kong movies these days. But he's he's good. He's good. Um, he's in some weird old movies as well. Is he not in Mad Detective? He's in Mad, Mad Detective, Detective. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to think where else. I've he's seen. in Shockwave. He's in that Fireman one as well, which is on my list of films to watch from uh, it's probably 10 years old now but I still think I got it yesterday um, Into the Fire that's what okay. it's called um, yeah no yeah it's it's fun there's not enough Wong in it that's the thing I love it as well that when you look for his like filmography and you can tell the ones which were VCD because they have the huge DVD across the title <laughs> yeah I mean he's been going a while Yeah. oh he's, yeah he's I mean been... he, you, you can see like he's worked with like a number of like Key sort of actors and directors. I mean, he's in Police Story Two, which is obviously the Jackie Jackie Chan follow up. Um, he's in My Left Eye Sees Ghost, which I know you talked about before. He is. He's the lead in that. Yes. Um, well, he's the he's the he's the the male lead, the ghost. Yeah. Uh, so we will be obviously be talking more about his career over the course of this month because there's a few titles on his filmography that we that sort of cross over, but. Mm. Definitely someone that we need to be covering more on the show, I think. Indeed. I think I think he's one of those you know, he leads movies, so he's a he's a proper film star, but he's not as well known in the West as, you know you know, obviously we have our martial arty people, your Jet Lees and your Jackie Chans yeah. and the like. But there are also that, that, that there's a sort of that young breed. We talked about um last time Sean Yu and um, oh God, who's the other fellow that's in Nicholas Tay yeah. who you just mentioned? There's people like that, that sort of younger breed. But Sean Lau comes from this. He, he sort of crosses both the Heavenly Kings period, the Andy Lau's and the and and that lot, and the newer guys, and is still going. So yeah, he, he's he's definitely someone we need to take more of a look at. Would you say it's sort of changed now? Because before, back in the day, it used to be that you could only have like the one actor who was sort of breaking through at any one time. I mean, obviously. Bruce Lee paved the way for Jackie Chan, who paved the way for, um, do we say, like, Chow Yun-Fat, who then was, like, led the way for Jet Li, and then now Donnie Yen, but with us obviously becoming more sort of multicultural in our cinema viewings these days, especially with, like, the likes of Bong Joon-ho or Park Chan-wook suddenly getting sort of, like, name recognition without, uh, with people outside of, like, the foreign cinema fans, do we still have this sort of status where, like, only certain actors are coming through? More so, especially with, like, um, with China obviously funding so many productions now, which means that we have to have, like, Chinese actors like uh, Lu Bing, who obviously turned up in the Meg. Mm. I mean, you have this concept of... So, so I think there's two answers to that. One is... With martial arts films being probably the one genre that sort of breaks across, yeah? It does always feel like there's only... There's one main person, and you've named them, you know, Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, Jet Li, um, Donnie Yen. And then there'll be a whole bunch of others, maybe sort of people like, um, who's the guy who took over from Jet Li in the Once Upon a Time China movies? Vincent... I want to say Vincent Cock, but it can't be Vincent Cock. 
that would be silly. But I've forgotten his name. But he never made it across, even though he's in tons of movies. So you have that. I, I do feel we're always after that poster boy for action, for, for martial arts movies. And Donnie Yen is still there. And others sort of float around, but they never seem to to make that make that break. Even when Donnie went off and did some more acty acting type yeah. roles rather than just that. So, so there's that. And then in China and sort of the Chinese Chinese diaspora diaspora you have this concept of there's always four people whether they're male actors or female actresses or just actors but males and females the Chinese always have for four is a lucky number so um we have this concept of um so the original Four Heavenly Kings in Hong Kong it was Jackie Chung, Andy Lau, Leon Lei, and Aaron Kwok. And they were just in everything of that time. And then we had another four, which um, included, um, oh, crikey, I can't remember. People like Nick Say and Edison Chen, people like that. And then in the female world, you absolutely have that as well. And that's why you see people like... So you talked about Lee Bingbing, yeah? Appearing in Meg and things like that. And Fan Bingbing, no relation. <laughs> appearing up in, in the Tax X-Files films. <laughs> yeah, and Mimi... Mimi, I can't remember her surname, but... Or family name. The, the, there's always four that the, that the Chinese entertainment press are pushing at us at any one time. And, the, and, there seems to be, and it seems to turn over quick, more quickly as well. But I don't think many of those, so other than the ladies who get put into the film because there's Chinese money in it, I don't see any men really. I suppose Daniel Wu, but he's like Canadian or American anyway, isn't yeah. he? So, um, or, or certainly has lived a lot of his life there. Um, I can't think of anybody else who's actually from Hong Kong or China that's, you know, really breaking through. We probably know more about Fan Bingbing because she didn't pay her taxes and she disappeared than her acting career or even her career as a model. Um, Lee Bingbing again, you know, I thought she, she's been in a couple of Western movies and I thought she'd have broken over more, but I think we're quite... I think we all know what's going on with the money and the Chinese people turning up in films, you know, it's, it's weird. So, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. So going back to your sort of root of your question, I still think Donnie Yen is probably the most bankable Chinese star in the West. Yeah. I can't think of anybody newer. Well, I think Donnie Yen is very much in a class of his own and he carries across many of the traits that Bruce um, originally did him, and he does. He doesn't have one, just one sort of fighting style. He certainly has trademark moves that he brings into every film, but he's also a fighter who brings in many different fighting styles. And we certainly see it in films like Flashpoint, and we sort of move like movies like Ip Man having those big set pieces, um, such as like the One versus Ten karate experts that everyone just loves to watch over and over again. It sort of marked him out as this like. This sort of untouchable name, and I think for a while we obviously had Tony Jaa, and in between, obviously, that after around the same time as Jackie Chan, we also had Samuel Hung, which is also interesting because it's like one of those rare occasions where we had two. Um, and I think it's mainly just the fact that Sammy, uh, Samuel Hung and Jackie Chan's career had so much crossover because of obviously them being the lucky stars, and as a part, we had like Yang Biao, um, to an extent, get a little name recognition, but never. Not enough that he deserved. I've always thought Yang Biao was always kind of a little shafted. But uh, back to the original point, Jet Li in Black Mask. I think it's really, I think it's good. Stephen hates it. I don't hate it. I'm mad about just, it. It's just like <laughs> I hate fun in action, in action movies. I don't want everything to be like serious and dull. And uh, uh, but no. You got it. Is uh, is up in the air. I personally had a really fun time. I don't know whether it's just because it was slightly easier than everything else I've watched recently, and it was, it was like this palate cleanser that I just I was like, wow, this is fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's 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 all full of crazy angles and great stunts, and there's a real sort of a weird sort of 
almost steampunky vibe to it as well. It, there's nothing steampunky about it, but you know what I mean, or cyberpunky. There's something about it that makes it feel both of its time and kind of fresh. It doesn't feel like a lot of Hong Kong films. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it that. It's got a, a, a certain visual flair to it, but obviously limited by the Hong Kong budget. But yeah, it's it's fine. I'm not going to be mean to it. Okay. Uh, next up, we had the chef's kiss of action movies, which is 1992's Hard Boiled uh, from John Woo. Here we have John Woo working at the height of his past, especially in his partnership with Chow Yun Fat. I mean, obviously with this one, he's coming off the likes of A Better Tomorrow, Bullet in the Head, um, The Killer. And everything just really comes together uh, with Hard Boiled, which is just this fantastic um, action movie where... I think I don't think I can describe it better than the way Todd Gaines did in his review, where he's like, the road cop and the undercover cop come against some gangster motherfuckers in John Blue's blueprint of how to make the motherfucker of all motherfucking action movies. Which I don't think pretty much sums it up. I mean, this is a movie which opens with some light jars and then we're straight into a shootout in a tea house where they're smuggling guns in bird cages and we get to see... All the classic sort of wooisms and Chang and Fat looking absolutely badass as he does like dual handguns and slides down banisters. Um, it's just a really, really fun time throughout. And I've, everything that I love about John Woo and certainly Chang and Fat movies is just encapsulated in this movie. The fact that Anthony Wong here is playing like a badass triad boss sort of only adds to it further. But. Where the killer obviously had those weird moments with the um, the the homoeroticism ran a little wild. Um, it all sort of, thankfully, doesn't uh, isn't the case here. It's, it feels a lot more focused here with um, Tony Lung being a great counter to obviously Charlie and Fat's uh, tequila. Uh, this sort of badass cop who sort of plays by his own rules and. Never reloads, engages in forty-minute shootouts in a hospital, and uh, has his leg put out, leg fire put out by a baby pissing on it. Saying with a great line of, "Thanks, kid, you put out my flames." Have we have we covered this in the show? Or no, have we, we covered it? the killer on the show, right? Because I've seen this. Yeah, you've seen it because I said to you when we're talking you about it, I said, "Watch yeah. better tomorrow than the killer." And then hard boiled because it's this evolution of the John Woo style. If you start off with like hard boiled, then everything that came before it may fail to sort of like live up to it. But if you watch them in that order, it's this like escalation of style and and uh, badassery. But uh, if you just, as I said, it's sort of like you just decide to skip straight to your dessert and watch hard boiled straight away, and then it was like, no, nah, this didn't work for me. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I remember not slating it, but picking great big holes in it. It's at the end of the day, you've got, um, yeah, you've got Chow Yun Fat, you've got Tony Lung the Younger, you've got Anthony Wong. It's got a great cast. It's got some fantastic action moments. This is the one with the sort of the the set piece in the hospital, right? Yeah, that's right. right. Where because they're using um, the. Um... They've got using running their arms operation out of the basement of the hospital. That's right, and but there's this whole thing which is sort of kind of done in real time, isn't it? Where where Charlie Fat was running around getting to the right lifts in time and stuff. Um, I think I think my problem was entirely with the plot, (laughs) (laughs) if I remember rightly. But it's again, I, I didn't hate it. It's just not my kind of movie, and. I feel like it's John Woo, yeah, or who I I don't have a problem with. It's just not somebody I particularly engage with, but I can understand the, you know, it's another one where I can understand the quality. Far more, it's a far better film than than um, Black Mask. Okay. So yeah, that we'll put we'll put them on a sliding scale like that. But yes, I remember that. So I've, yes, I've seen more film. I'd forgotten I'd seen that film. It wasn't until I just checked for the poster. I thought, oh, it's the one with the baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I love that. That's such an iconic poster of him with like the shotgun mm. and the baby on the front. I remember like seeing in magazines when it came out. It was all like hard boiled, and I had no idea what it was. But something about that 
seeing those adverts that just really stuck with me, and even though I didn't see it like years later, it's... and it was Artificial Eye of all labels that put this mm. one out. Also, I now, I now remember he's he's like uh, John Woo himself is in it, isn't he? As a, as a bar owner or something. Yes, he's the bartender. And yeah, that's right. Yes, I remember. I remember this. Yeah, it's it's fine. Um, you can also play the sequel Stranglehold if you're on a 360 or PlayStation that's, 3. That that's right. Which is yes, fantastic. That. Uh, you get to do all. You play tequila. You can do all the slides down the banisters. You can dual wield pistols. You engage in shootouts in a tea house and a museum and a dock. There's an achievement point for a thousand bullets fired, which you will achieve in the second level. It's. Ugh. It's so good. Yeah, never never played it, but I'm aware it is the the sequel is a computer game. Yeah, in a much better way than Enter the Matrix ever was. And you say that, but I really enjoyed Enter the Matrix as well. Oh. I never watched, never played Path of Me- Neil. Oh God, you're shite. Um, <laughs> and John Woo again turns up as a bartender. That's a hidden achievement point. <laughs> oh really? <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> He's like in the special features menu. Um, you go go down into the bar and it's like uh, John Woo's there, the bartender, <laughs> and it's like comes up with found John. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to find a copy from my three six. You'd love it; it's great. Cool. And Joe, in fact, does right. like the voices. If you get the special edition, it shows mm-hmm. all like the uh, behind the the scene stuff as well, and you get a copy of Hardboiled in there as well. And it's a nice steel book case. Gotcha, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Charlie Fat is just as cool as he is in the movies. Well, he is cool, isn't he? Let's face it. So, I just think I don't. I think when we like talk about like, oh, we'd be like so cool to like interview Charlie Fat. It's like once we met him and he was having an off day. How how much would that like destroy our perception? It's like why we never meet anyone. <laughs> so like when they're like saying, "Oh, you should you should get like try and get Anthony Wong because he's like obviously speaks English, so that would be really really helpful." Um, and it's like again, why if Anthony Wong wasn't this great guy we we have in our mind that he is? Um, that would that would be just really crushing. It would. Luckily, we know he's a decent guy. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, obviously this is in the nineties, so Wong only gets to play villains. Yeah, on the whole, as we're as we're as we're discovering, but um, he has a really cool death scene where he gets a bullet in the head. Yeah, I'm 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 struggling to remember yeah, sure. him in it. I'm 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 remembering there's there's a scene with doves, but then that that's every John, John Woo movie. movie. <laughs> <laughs> Again, there's certain traits which are in every single John Woo movie. Also, isn't there a whole section of the movie that takes place in a library? Just to go back to your previous point, I'm certain that there's some book being exchanged. Or isn't that where Tony Lung hides his gun from one of his hits in a library oh, yeah. book or something? Yeah, there you go. We yeah, he we, also we, does origami for each of the souls yeah. he takes. Because that that's yeah. just so like nineties Hong Kong right there. <laughs> Some stupid trope like that. Uh, Fantastic. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Uh next up we had the most offensive movie I have seen to date on this list. This is a movie which left me shocked and appalled and like dare I say a little bit dirty watching it. Not the twins effect again. No, it's 2003's <laughs> The Medallion. Oh, okay. I haven't seen My The Medallion, God. but I'm assuming it's in the same wheelhouse as The Tuxedo. Yeah. You know the worst thing that ever happened to Jackie Chan's career? Him discovering Waifu, which he did previously with The Tuxedo. And again, it's more Waifu from Jackie. Um... Yeah, this one's pretty awful. It's kind of very similar to... Um, did, you, did you ever watch the Double Dragon movie? No. Okay, well, you basically got an amulet that will... If you have one half of it, it gives you, like, superpowers. And if you have both halves, then it will raise you up to, like, god status. Gotcha. That's basically the ins and outs of it. Julian Sands plays a cardboard villain. Anthony Wong is probably the best thing here, and he plays a second-tier villain rocking a nice bowler hat, but they overdub him. No idea why. Hmm. He speaks better English than Jackie does. 
Well, Jackie can't speak English, can he? he has oh, it's to all learn phonetic, isn't phonetically, it? yeah. But um, um, yeah, Anthony Wong is half Welsh. She speaks perfect English. I saw that um, <laughs> him being interviewed for that um, that film where he's in a wheelchair. Mm. And he's like saying because his mother's in a in a wheelchair, but the fact he had to like train his body to like not uh, make certain movements. Um, right. But no, he's he speaks very posh. For a yes, man who's no, been he's... in some sleazy cinema, he speaks super posh. Well, there is there there is a real. I mean, he. I mean, I guess you've read about this, but because he is half cast, yes, obviously. Um, he has. He did struggle a lot, and he did get cast as villains because he doesn't look quite ethnically Chinese. And I think he he spoke. I think he struggled with it a lot, like a lot recently, um, mm. about the Hong Kong film industry and how it's really very biased. Um, mm. But no, he is the best thing in this movie. I think this came towards the. This was one of the final movies that uh, Chan did in in America. Before he went back to Hong Kong and did things like um, the Shinjuku incident, mm. um, police and police story. Yes, new police the, story the, was obviously the it's a return, wasn't it? So, mm. but yeah, this is oh my god, there's just so many awful choices. I mean, I one of the first warning signs is if you have more than four script writers writing the script for a movie. And that should be my first warning sign here. Here he teams up with just a very, very forgettable cast. I mean, Julian Sands uh, turns up as the villain here. Lee Evans is on Yuck Yuck Duties. Uh, Claire Florani uh, is supposedly an interesting female um, lead. I mean, Christy Chung is probably the best, the second best thing in this movie. But um, she plays this... There's this whole thing where Lee Evans' um, character, he's called uh, Watson, and he works for Interpol, but his wife supposedly doesn't know about the works for Interpol. So they have this whole shoot on the scene, and suddenly she's like pulling guns out of the cleaning closet and being like an absolute like Hong Kong badass. And there's no explanation why she suddenly has all these like uh, kick-ass abilities. But, I mean, Chrissy Chung we should know already because we talked about her in Good of Cookery, which is in Love on Delivery. She's in Red Wolf. She's in Bride with White Hair too. Um, so she's a real, as I said, she's. This was like one of her rare sort of like jaunts to American cinema, and she didn't seem to really enjoy it too much because she went back to Hong Kong afterwards. Well, she's Canadian, isn't she? But yeah, she, of 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 that family. I've just yeah, John Rhys Davies is in this. So that dates it. He was in every movie between 1993 and 2005. I'm pretty certain he's in the mummies, um, the Dragon Emperor one that we talked about last time. He's, but, I mean, he's Solomon in um, Bates of the Lost Ark, isn't he? He is, yeah. He's, uh, yeah, maybe I'll need to bring it back another 10 years, back sort of 1983 um, to 2003. He's, kind of, he's basically like the go to guy if you don't want someone as loud as Brian Blessed in your movie. That's it's right, like, yeah. You need a big, like, boisterous guy but we don't want to go full blessed on this one yeah we don't want to go full blessed we just we just want a boisterous welshman ah john reese davis here we go i am am blessed (laughs) yeah they're 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 a certain sort of they're like sort of stage actors that have somehow become character actors in films yeah um it's more funny now because brian blessed's on peppa pig which my kids watch is he really? Yeah. <laughs> I think he plays Daddy Rabbit or no Grampy Rabbit. Is he the character he plays? I I I haven't watched Pepper Pig for a good fifteen. There's years. also a running My joke kids. where Miss Rabbit does everything, but that makes sense because she's a rabbit, so there's lots of them. <laughs> so it's like, oh, hello, sister. <laughs> Whenever you have two of them on the screen at the same time. I just, I mean, you just remind me. I have seen this film. Now it's I remember on, it. Like, I, OTV, so it wouldn't surprise yeah, me. Yeah, I you have, have. Because you've just reminded me that Lee Evans is in it. Yeah. Which is one of the bizarrest things. I mean, Jackie Chan, he, Jackie Chan also did that um, Around the World in 80 Days with Steve Coogan, didn't he? Um, so he obviously had this thing about turning up with big British comedians, but Lee Evans was like a superstar in the UK. And. I'd forgot. He's in The Fifth Element. He's in something about Mary. Um, well, this is the thing, because he was like... 
he was this legendary sort of stand-up. He was like the first guy mm. to sell out the O2 for a mm. standout show, and now it's like he set the standard now because it's now that you've had many comedians sort of follow. But he was like the first one to do it. And then he tried to go across into doing movies, and he never really took. I think Mouse Hunt is like the best thing he did, because everything else is, is that the one he did with um, the fella from the Birdcage, Nathan Lane. Yeah, is that it? Him, him and Nathan um, Lane. Yes, and that was directed by Gore Verbinski. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean everything else. He was like, he did a small cameo, and he would be like great, like Fifth Element, as you said. Um, mm. But then you have him like all these like weird movies, like the Martins, just these really bad British movies that he would like turn up in, and then he'd do something weird like Freeze Frame. Yeah, um, I mean he he was. It's hard to express back in say 90, late nineties, two thousands, what a big star he was in the UK, and. He probably still is the second most famous actor from Bristol after Cary Grant. <laughs> I guess yeah, I um it's, yeah, you yes, I I I absolutely have seen this film, have no real memory of it other than a bizarre com- confluence of of Lee Evans and Jackie Chan. It's just so poorly directed i mean you've got all these like cardboard villains all the fights seem really lazy in it and i mean there's obviously like people out there who are going to get like really uh excited the fact that like scott atkins turns up for about five seconds as generic villain number three he's just some just some thug but it's like every character just like annoyed me more than the last um, and every, like, Lee Evans, it's all like, they clearly just put him in because they think that, you know, they think his funniness is going to carry across. So everything he does, he's like the bumbling idiot in this mm. movie. I'll just look at it. You said, you said badly directed. Um, I'm just having a look who directed it. Gordon, Gordon Chan. Chan. Who did Beast Cops, which you looked at. He did the Royal Trump movie, Stephen Chow, yeah, Royal Trump he movie. He did Fist of Legends. Chow. He did. He did um, the Stephen Chow um, Fight Back to School movies, which are great, and King of Beggars. Um, he did the remake of Painted Skin. He also, that's, that's Anthony Wong it again, he did all the the four movies. He also did First which were, Option, which I was talking up uh, as well in the last show. Yeah, so uh, interesting. Yeah. Good in Hong Kong, terrible in America. Oh, he also wrote, he was the writer of Behind the Yellow Line... Which was is a lovely little romantic comedy from the early eighties, which was the film debut of Leslie Chung and Maggie Chung, and I want to say Anita Mui. I can't remember. Mm. I'm going to have to go and look it up. But also put out by it was, yes, Brothers. absolutely, yeah, a, a, a sort of a, a film sponsored by the the Hong Kong Metro, the MTR. Yeah. <laughs> Not technically sponsored. It was there to. It was the idea of it was to get people to use it when it first opened. Um, yeah, so that. It's, so, so it's it's another example. We often talk about those Hong Kong directors like Choi Haku who went across to Hollywood and failed and came back with their tail between their legs. Well, we can add another one to that list now in Gordon Chan. It's frustrating, I think, because a lot of them were sort of... Whereas in Hong Kong, they were obviously given more creative freedom. They were just, like, given a budget. It was very much like... Um, it was like uh, Roger Corman... He would basically in Hong Kong they have like a script and a budget that's all left to them. Oh, like Wong Jing. Yeah. Is that who you're thinking uh, of? The guy who did like the the naked killer movies and stuff. I'm like just that. thinking more just the fact that in like Hong Kong these directors are all left to their own devices, whereas in Hollywood oh, for it's sure. like, like it's all micromanaged, and this is why we end up. Well, with we saw, we like saw, this. we yeah, and we saw we saw that with the with the three big Hong um, Korean directors who. You know, um, what, what I suppose you know Park Chan Wook kind of did okay with with Stoker, but um, Kim Ji Woon and the Arnie film that he did, um, oh, he last said stand, it never yeah. work in, yeah, which I quite liked yeah, the, I liked last, the stand, last stand, but, as well. but uh, his experience working in Hollywood was so horrible he never came back again. Yeah. And did um, 
Did Bong not do a Western? He did. Movie? He did Snowpiercer, but that was with the Weinstein. Right. And again, <laughs> at least again. he decided to get one over on the Weinstein's by by fighting yeah. for the um, the fish sequence. Then mm. his father was like a, a fisherman, and this was a tribute to him, which was a complete lie. And when the Weinstein's found out, they screwed him over from distribution. Um, yeah, but Choi Hark and a couple. Couple of those Hong Kong directors, those those really, you know, the ones that that, that had their those great films of like the eighties and the early nineties went over. Um, John Woo, I suppose we could include um, in that. It never really happened for John Woo over in the states, not 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 to a great degree. The one that it worked for, I think the the head and shoulders above everybody was Ang Lee. Although he's Taiwanese. But he has managed to eke out a career in both hemispheres, whatever, whatever the the a, a vertical hemisphere is. I don't know the east and the west, but not many others have tro- have, have succeeded. No, uh, Ronnie Yu came over and did a couple of good horror movies. He did obviously Bride of Chucky, Bride of Chucky, and he did yeah. Jason, which were really great. And then I believe he also did Fifty First Fifty First State as well. Mm, you're right, he did, um, yeah. So, but yeah, John Woo again, never so direct. John Woo, I would have expected, especially in like the period he came over in, to be like more embraced. And now, I hate it when people like crap all over Mission Impossible 2. It's like, why are you hating Mission Impossible 2? It's a good movie. It's better than the first one, the one by. Well, De Palma's. Uh, De Palma's, De Palma's one. one is oh. more of an espionage thriller, isn't it? And then after that, they became sort of like action blockbustery things. Yeah, and eventually get directed by animation directors and, <laughs> and still people going. People who told the line, we call them. Well, people that do what Tom Cruise tells them to do. Hey, I'm going to do this stunt on my own and put the whole movie at risk. Yeah, whatever you want, <laughs> whatever you want, Tom. Um, yeah, no, it's it it is interesting that so few of them. You're right. I think Ronnie Yu is 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 probably the only one who can say point to his CV and say, oh, I might not have made Oscar winning movies, but I certainly made genre movies which are very. Bride of Chucky's freaking brilliant. I don't like um the the cop in it. The guy who plays the cop. Right. I he just is a little too it, creepy. It's the same. In, he has the same yeah. issue in um, bad in bad Santa as well. Where he plays like the uh, the mall manager. Yes, I know who he's, you mean. Um, he's the yes. oh, yeah. But 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 uh, you know, Johnny, you managed to take the child play movies, which had a bad rep. Not you know, not because of anything they did, but other things that happened around them and. And and man- temporarily made it a bit more of a comedy franchise. Oh yeah, I mean he gave us Tiffany. Yeah, um, who is like Meg Tilly's second best moment. Jennifer yeah. Tilly has just embraced that character, and yeah, not not Meg Tilly. That's her sister, yeah. isn't it? Jennifer Tilly's <laughs> Jennifer Tilly's um, in that movie is is just absolutely fantastic, and the character's fantastic as well. It's funny his son has been disappeared rightfully from that movie. Yeah. Yeah, true. Uh, even like when you watch the Chucky TV shows, um, she comes back in that as well. But she's oh, taken over yes. the body of uh, Jennifer Jennifer Tilly now. Of course. <laughs> if you've not seen the Charles the Chucky TV series, definitely give it a watch. It's it's real. If you're a fan of the series, it's doing. They're really doing it justice. It's tying in really nicely to the film. So cool. Um. We've we've gone way off track. <laughs> I can't remember what movie we were talking about. Are we still talking about we're Hardball? Talk, we're or talking we about the medallion. We're just trying to medallion. That's to right. Rinse the mouth for people who like suffered through this movie. I apologise if you like pay handed over your hard earned buckaroos to watch this movie. It's oh, dreadful. Um, oh, just, just oh my god! It, Alfred Chung wrote <laughs> it gets it worse as well. the more you look at it, doesn't it? The more, I mean, it's got Bay Logan on it. We can't talk about him. Is that Paul Wheeler? No, it can't be. It must be a different yeah, Paul Wheeler. Different Paul, um, oh, thank God for that. Yeah, but you look at it. You look at its constituent parts, and it should be bloody brilliant. But no. Okay. Move, Move on. on. Next. Next up, we have a movie that uh, I had to watch because if I didn't watch it, all I'm going to hear about is the fact I didn't watch it. So. 
It's the Untold Story from 1993, directed by Man of the Moment, Herman Yao. Um, yeah. This is the story of a deranged psychopath played by Anthony Wong who cheats at Mahjong and when is prone to fits of violent rage and turning people into pork buns. <laughs> That's basically... The long and short of this story. It's a fantastic and very iconic performance from Anthony Wong. You have probably no doubt seen the bespectacled Wong against the uh, against the sort of lineup chart, which uh, normally does the rounds whenever anyone talks about Untold Story. But this was where one of uh, the first of three films in the Untold Story trilogy. Wong would return for the second one, but the not the third one. The sequels, obviously, being sequels in name only. But this one's a real sort of classic of the cat-free genre and as such really taps into all the usual sort of tropes we've come to see from the cat-free. So we have, you know, deviance, rape, mutilation, disemba- uh, dismemberment, cannibalism, murder, police brutality, torture, maiming people with a chopstick in a rather uncomfortable area. It's... A lot of things that we've come to sort of expect from the cat-free genre. At the same time, it's a really interesting movie. As you have these horrible things being carried out by Anthony Wong's character. And at the same time, it's played against this group of bumbling cops. Who spend a lot of time like leching at their boss's mistress. His mistresses, yes, that is true. AKA, <laughs> AKA prostitutes that he brings in. Um, Except the female Emily Quan's characters lusting <laughs> after their boss, and they just spend the entire time having to go at the size of her breasts and her butch look. And yeah, there's some workplace bullying going on for sure. Let's not also forget <laughs> the fact that they eat the evidence. Oh yeah, that's true. As uh, a, accidentally, yeah, it's true. Um, when I see one. Uh, when, sorry, I should stop calling him Anthony Wong because it makes it sound like uh, he's the one doing this. <laughs> yeah. but no, he plays uh, this character called Wong, who um, basically is rather skilled at what he does. Uh, is if that thing is turning people into pork bao. Um, and well, that, that's one of the way. Another lot he just chopped up and threw in the sea, but he gets rid of he gets rid of one of his workers and turns them into pork buns. That's right, and 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 then he gives them to the police as a free present, and we see them levaciously eating them. We're followed by the uh, great line from the boss himself, like, "I don't eat that garbage. You don't know what goes into those." <laughs> and it's so, so bizarre. So, like, you've got these really grotesque sort of sequences, sort of stuff that we would put like with like, like human guinea pig, mermaid in a manhole, those really sort of grotesque stuff, like uh, bouquet of flesh and. Uh, fresh mm. and guts or Nakudama and is played against these really funny sequences with these bumbling cops it's really tonally bizarre we talk I mean it's it's a Hong Kong movie it's a cat three Hong Kong movie from the early 90s we should be used to this I think this is the king of the cat three movies oh really I I think it's in in the sense, not necessarily it's the best, but it's the one that embodies the spirit of the Cat Three movie the most. In the sense that it's it's got the gross out stuff. It's got that stuff which makes it worth stopping. You know, that, that makes the censorship almost worthwhile. Whilst at the same time being this bizarre comedy, whilst at the same time being. Um, ripped from the headlines. This is based on a true story. Um, from only a little bit before. It's also nice to see that it's set in Macau and not in Hong Kong, which is not... We don't... In our time doing it, I think we've had only... What was the one with Andy Lau on the motorbike? Oh, Moment of Romance. Which spends about half an hour in Macau. And you... Oh, and I think maybe God of Gamblers maybe taken part a bit in Macau as well, thinking about it. But... You know, the island next door, which has a... So, whereas Hong Kong has this British influence, Macau has this Portuguese influence in terms of its culture and its architecture and its food and things. So it's nice to be somewhere else, I think. Um, but it's it's gross-out 
but it's also got that humour. Some Cat 3 movies are pretty po-faced about their gross-outness. This isn't. Because <laughs> um, Emily Kwan, who plays the, the bow, the female police, she's in one of them where she just gets tortured the entire fucking movie. And it's charmless. This has got a bizarre amount of charm, except, although it's, you know, it's it's kind of based on this. There really were people murdered at a, at a restaurant called the Eight Immortals Restaurant. That re- That's a real thing that happened. The cannibalism stuff is just not true it's 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 hong kong tabloid sensationalism but herman yao as we said a couple of episodes ago take something like um taxi hunter yeah take something that's happened that's happened locally and turns it into something else and everything's dialed up to 11 um and wong is just fucking amazing this wild-eyed psychopath it's never any doubt, is it? He's a psycho from the weird opening scene where he burns someone to death in, in Oh in yeah, that's the incredible like full body burn that we see at the uh the start. Yeah. And this is again over him being accused of cheating at Marshunk, which is one of the recurring traits. He denies he denies every time he's accused of it and ends up killing somebody. He does. Um, um but in in the restaurants that's um where he like first off he kills the chef. And then he kills the waitress, and then next thing we got the sign out the front that says "waitress and cook wanted." And I mean, he gets arrested like really early on in the movie, and it then becomes about the police trying to force the confession out of him. Where we find out how he came to take over the restaurant, because he makes all these claims like the original owner sold it to him, and that the family sort of moved on. But he has all these bits and pieces that he hasn't got rid of. Um, and it all sort of builds. We get obviously the police doing some torturing because this is cat free, um, and we obviously build up to like the big reveal. That is the weirdest. Thing. So the comedy cop stuff, right? Fine. It's the fact that it, the the police become just as bad as him, if not. No, they're not worse because they're not actually killing him, but. That yeah, you you spend half the movie Anthony Wong killing people that are in his way, I guess, and stop him owning this fucking. I mean, when we call it a restaurant, that's pushing it a bit, isn't it? It's <laughs> it's it's a couple of tables in, in Macau, and and then the second half of the movie is the police torturing him or getting other people in custody cells to beat him up and make his life a misery. One of them turns out to be. The brother of someone that he killed. I don't quite know how they arranged that, but that happened. And then, then they, what they do? They they inject him to make him stay awake. <laughs> One of the nurses who got a bite off him starts to inject him just with water, just for the fun of it. <laughs> oh, it won't kill him, but it'll make me happy. She says. <laughs> and it's all yeah, it's. Obviously, Wong is very... He made a lot of Cat 3 movies, not just with Herman Yao, and I'm sure you're going to cover another one before the end of time. But, yeah, to me, this this is just... If I wanted to show somebody what a Cat 3 movie really was, it would be this, because it's just not just nasty, it's got other shit going on as well. Oh, I mean, just... it's certainly nasty in places. I think the the the, the murder of the waitress is... It was a real jarring sequence, and I mean, certainly they tried to shock yeah. us with like the food preparation sequences. But for myself, that oh, again, that doesn't really faze yeah. me. Um, I mean, yes, we obviously get like where he's like um, breaking down the body of the cook to make the pork bowel. That gets a little sort of going places, sort of like, oh, I've got his buttocks, <laughs> um, and he's like from bits. Yeah, of I mean, obviously juxtaposed because we do see or it, what it looks like. We do. It looks like Wong is. Um butchering a pig early on in the movie and it's very graphic i don't think it's actually him butchering it but we wouldn't see things like this to um charles dance um butchers the the whatever it was the sheep or the whatever it was in game of thrones some 30 40 years later <laughs> it's very hard to tell whether it's actually one doing the the cooking or not because it's very well shot as in like the how just opposed the shot so 
Yeah, I mean, it's again, we'll talk about this time and time again. Herman Yao is a fucking great director. Oh, unquestionably so, and I think and, I've only gone up in my estimation because you, you, you obviously associate Herman Yao so much with Cat Free. And he's so much more than that, and he was so much better than that. <laughs> and, and, well, no, not better than that, because there's, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with Cat 3 films as long as you understand what you're getting in for, but I think you know it's easy to be sniffy about them. And I think certainly the partnership he has with... Anthony Wong is just so overlooked. Mm. I mean, we obviously talk about the great directing partnerships like Scorsese and De Niro and Scorsese and, and um, DiCaprio. DiCaprio. Um, yeah. Samuel Jackson and Tarantino. Yeah. And I mean, we never talk about Herman Yao and Anthony Wong because they did so many movies together and they're always really, they just have worked so well together. They do. And, yeah, and, and you looked at a film, the, the It Man movie that they did together. Yeah. Could how far apart from Untold Story could that movie be? Exactly. But they're just they're just two people who Yeah, I, I Herman Yao is my second favourite Hong Kong director, I think. And his C V is so diverse. But even this I watched this this afternoon in, in preparation because I knew you'd watched it. And it's just I've watched a lot of gory movies. You know, you mentioned a whole bunch of Japanese gore movies there didn't you and none of them are as well made as this it, although it's clearly been made on a budget blah 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 Wong is fantastic I mean again this is the same guy that plays an aging cancer ridden it man but you it's really hard to show that they're the same person but they look exactly the same his eyes are like open all the time and and We've all met somebody as angry as 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 the character Wong, haven't we? Um, hopefully, that the people that we've yeah, met. Yeah, I mean, it's not just the fact up. he's angry; he's also an angry paranoid <laughs> psychopath, which is <laughs> yeah. also never good. Yeah, uh, and they, we, you, we obviously it has like this sort of grindhouse element to it, and a lot of it's played for last. But at the same time, they pick up on a lot of interesting sort of traits. The fact that they note the fact the waitress was scared of of uh, of Wong. Um, and it's like these little details that they, they throw in. It's just bizarre, like, tonally, some of the stuff that they also throw in there. So it's just like, as you said already, with the, the female officer, and it's sort of like the fact that she dresses very masculine. So they she turns up uh, one day, like, in a dress and stuff just to get the attention of them and show that she can dress more feminine. So, And you're thinking, well, this is the same movie where people are getting turned into Port Bow. Um, it just... Totally yeah, just, it's, ugh, just the, the the only thing which bothers me is is that rape scene. But again, we've talked about this before. The the eighties, nineties Hong Kong cinema's relationship with violence against women is troublesome. Violence against women is always difficult to watch though. In, regardless in, in, of where indeed. you watch it where you watch it. I think it's just one of those things that it is difficult to watch unless it, I mean, obviously, if it's on like a an equal setting, so if you like watching kung fu movies, so things like Come Drink with Me, um, that's a completely yeah. different thing. But you know, men no, this is, just like this being is, brutalized in women is just—it's never fun. It, it's never fun, and and the Hong Kong cinema in a in a period of time had had a had a relationship that doesn't doesn't play well today you know we're not being woke about it it's pretty fucking gross what he does <laughs> but but then he also he also of course beheads a seven-year-old child in this <laughs> that nobody um, everyone nobody ever talks about that do they no they don't so so yeah we're not he's not going to be a hero and it is yeah like i said it's just a bit weird how he almost they almost try and make him almost sympathetic for periods of time it's just oh it's just it's just a i just think it's a great movie um and, and and yeah, if I was going to show somebody a Cat 3 movie, this would be the one. I'd probably lose them as a friend, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, rounding out this week, because uh, I have seen another film, but I'm going to take it on to the next recap, which will make more sense when, we, when you uh, listen to that one. But um, rounding up this roundup... That works. Um, <laughs> is Cook Up a Storm. This is from 2017, directed by Raymond Yip Wei Man, who, again, another director whose name might not jump out at you, but he did do The Warlords with Jet Li, 
which was the movie mm-hmm. after Fearless. He went after when he said, I'm done with like martial arts movies and then made The Warlords, which he was like, no, 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 this is a historical movie, so this is different. Of <laughs> uh, course it is. It's really good, but it, <laughs> but it is exactly <laughs> the same. He also did Phantom of the Theatre as well. Oh, I've never seen that. That's a film I want to see. Add it on the list. Uh, indeed. I, I think I couldn't buy a copy of it with an English subtitle. Okay. Um, but it was well-reviewed, and it seems to be set in my favourite time period. <laughs> um, so Cooker was still rounds up uh, this evening's viewing um, from 2017. Uh, this one plays very similar to God of Cookery, but without the laughs. Uh, here, Nicholas Tay plays a Cantonese street cook who's in a rivalry with the French-trained Michelin-starred chef, um, here played by um, Guy Yu. Yep, yep. All right. Um, That'll do. <laughs> but basically, he's um, having conquered uh, Europe. He's uh, turns down the executive chef position to return to Hong Kong to bring the freestyle Michelin chef style cooking to Hong Kong um, what follows is the two facing off um, with their sort of rival styles while at the same time finding a much needed uh, sort of respect for each other's uh, sort of style of their love of cooking at the same time Anthony Wong turns up as another complicated father figure so I guess we could call this I. Um, initial D, but we're cooking. Um, he basically plays Nicholas Tate's father, who's this master chef who always sort of like looked down on his sons a bit in the kitchen. And uh, Nicholas Tate's quest really was just always like outdo his father with the pair, eventually facing off in the final of a cooking contest where he pulls kind of like a ratatouille move on him. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed this one. It's some fun food porn there for you. You get to see some really interesting looking food. And apparently I like this a lot more than everyone else on Letterbox. The only um, downside being that the plot kind of loses its way around the half halfway point. Uh, but up until that point, it is, it's some interesting characters. It's a great cast. Um, and as I said, some fun food preparation in there as well. Um, so this isn't... I haven't seen this, but this isn't that old. This is a 2017 yes, film, right? Yes, right. Um... Yeah, I, I've never even heard of it. I like a bit of food porn. Um, he's in a... So yeah, he's also in another food porn movie. Um, <laughs> just called Magic Kitchen, which is another another story for another day. Um, yeah, I, I, I like Nick Say. Nick Say, obviously, is a real restaurateur as well, isn't he? He's Is he in this? Yes, Nick Stays. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so you've found a couple, this and Home With A View, that I need to... Um, I've, I've I've missed them. I've, I've I've not noticed them come out. Well, this also has uh, Bei Bing, who was in Chinese uh, Zodiac, as well as uh, Kung Fu Killer with Donnie Yen, as well as Operation Red Sea. Um, we also have uh, Tang Yan. Um, yep. Who's also in a couple of movies. We have uh, Jackie Chan, such so like Kung Fu Master. And basically just spends a lot of time just like standing there looking pretty. So you can't see like we can't see like cut over to her, and she doesn't have a lot of emotion to her to her face. She just sort of like stands there and sort of like just apparently is just uh, we're just supposed to be in awe of just how pretty she is. So this is a bit of, it's a, it's a bit of a callback. She 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 takes the fan Bing Bing flower vase role as they call it. Pretty much, um, yeah. Where well, she's just there to look pretty, which is a shame because she's probably far more capable. But um, but, yeah, I mean the best way to describe this would be. If um, Heston Blumenthal went up against Anthony Bourdain, okay, that's basically what the style you have here. Because Anthony, uh, with Nicholas Tay's character, he's sort of like he's a street cook, but at the same time, he's got all these sort of fancy tricks uh, that he that he does. And then we're going up against um, obviously his Michelin-starred rival, who does like all the usual. Blumenthal sort of things using like molecular gastronomy. Yes, exactly. He does this dish where they like pour the water on and like all the fungi grows up. And um, Nick says like, "I came here to have dinner, not for more of your tricks." And he just like throws it down. And then the pair have this showdown over wasabi steak. Right. Um, 
you know the highest the most expensive highest grade steak in the world and we have like a lot of this sort of like um it's, it's kind of if you watch food wars as well the anime it's all that sort of like super um supernatural like sort of like cooking ability where they're able to like fillet fish in like superhuman sort of speed and uh they do all these sort of like fancy tricks and bits and pieces but you know it's very watchable and in from like a food porn stance it's kind of fun to see the team like make foie gras and like oh i'm cutting he's cutting it with like a hot knife these little mm. foodie sort of bits that they uh throw in there so but to see these two sort of styles obviously like Kansas City street cooking going up against michelin style cooking is just kind of interesting on its own uh the fact that you've got this rivalry between two cooks puts it again in that sort of great uh category of movies things like the duelist where you've got people of exceptional skill battling against each other for their own sort of professional rivalry mm. but i think i personally really enjoyed it it's as i said it's very similar to food wars and um got a cookery which we reviewed way back in the day of the show so Way back in the day, indeed. Um, which I think we both enjoyed. I I chose it. I love God of Cookery, a Stephen Chow film, isn't it? Um, the, the only thing I don't like about God of Cookery is when they cruelly shoot Karen Mock in the face, <laughs> which is tonally completely different to the rest of the film. Um, but it is, yeah, it's one of the classic, um, one of the classic Stephen Chow movies. So yeah, I, I'll, um, I'll, I mean, I see it's got mixed reviews, but I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll hunt it down. Uh, so that obviously wraps up this week's viewing. Thank you uh, for listening to our rather extended edition of the recap this week. Um, but we will be back next week with uh, a roundup of the week's viewing. You can obviously follow us in the meantime on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Come say hi to us and uh, see what we what's coming up on the uh, recap. And let us know where uh, any of your favourite Anthony Wong movies. Let us know what you think of Hamin Yao. Especially, we love to sort of hear what you guys think of uh, his work as a director. Uh, but until then, thank you for listening. Thanks to my co Stephen. Pleasure as ever. And uh, we'll be back next week with another recap. And also look out for our upcoming episode on the main show where we are going to be looking at The Handmaiden. But uh, that's all coming up soon. But until then, thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. Until then, good night.